It's Wednesday, February 21st. One dissident is dead. Now will more rise in his place? We start here. The family of Alexei Navalny vows to challenge Vladimir Putin. She said, the Kremlin has killed half of me, but the other half is still alive. But is a newly emboldened Putin now planning to break the spirits of 40 million Ukrainians, too? It pays to discover a deep-pocketed buyer. Capital One and Discover are banking on Americans continuing to put a lot on their cards. A huge merger in the world of credit cards will explain what it means for you. And if life begins at conception, are fertility clinics committing mass murder? We're just going through it to want and hope for a family. A ruling from Alabama threatens the entire in vitro industry. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. When the Russian dissident Alexei Navalny died in a Russian prison in the wasteland known as Northern Siberia, it could be taken a couple of ways. One way was for people to say, yeah, of course this was going to happen. Navalny's the most visible challenger to Vladimir Putin's power. Putin purportedly has a history of killing his enemies. What else would you expect? But some said, well... Actually, the fact that it's happening now tells you everything you need to know about Vladimir Putin. Think about it. A year ago, he was facing potential coup attempts. Now he's feeling emboldened. Ukraine was inflicting serious damage on Russian troops. Now Ukraine is having trouble getting funding from its allies like the U.S. Well, if all of that is reducing the pressure on Putin from within, yesterday, Navalny's family tried to ratchet that pressure back up. Let's go to ABC's foreign correspondent, Patrick Rievel, who's in Ukraine right now where he's following all this. Patrick, first off, what kind of reactions are we seeing to Navalny's death, both among his family, some of whom are outside Russia at this point, and also just regular people within the country? Hi, Brad. Yeah, I think what we're seeing in Russia actually illustrates very well what you were talking about, that Vladimir Putin is very in control compared to how he was just under a year ago. I'm so sad. I don't know what to say. I mean, that was a hope on our future. And now I feel that our hope is dead. We are seeing people trying to mourn Navalny's death and trying to show dissent around it and and anger around it. But all they're doing is going to these monuments in Russian cities and trying to lay flowers quietly. And even there, they're being dragged away by by Russian police. And I think, you know, that the thing that we're also seeing is that all of Russia's opposition is now trying to work out how do they continue, how do they exist with this huge hole? You know, the the leadership of the opposition has been decapitated. Wow. Um, There just isn't anyone remotely of the same stature of Navalny, except perhaps now people are saying for his wife, Yulia, And people, of course, wondered what would she do after he died? Because part of Navalny's story really has always been this extraordinary love story with his wife. And what we've seen, you know, immediately after his death, she has stood up and started campaigning. I should not be here. I should not be recording this video. Another person should have been here where I am now. But Vladimir Putin killed this man. She made this video saying, I will take his place and telling people to join with her, join with her in her anger and saying she will continue um, his fight. She said, the Kremlin has killed half of me, but the other half is still alive and we will keep fighting. Um, to be honest, I think I never like really considered that he might uh, actually be killed in there. The New York Times published a, n- a number of these letters that were sent by Alexei Navalny to his colleagues and, and supporters 
and I have since seen some of these letters. I spoke with a photographer who worked for Navalny. From one point of view, obviously he was, you know, in terrible conditions and they were getting worse and worse. He was... You know, they give this remarkable glimpse into his state of mind and into his world while he was being held in prison. And really they just, they show his extraordinary energy, which really was just one of his features. He's just fascinated by everything that's going on. He asks about the outside world an awful lot. But he also obviously tries to convey a little bit of what prison life is like, always with his humor. He's always has this very dark humor, just making fun of the whole system, really. Um, but he has this one particular uh, line that did stick out to people, I think, where he said, you, you know, the thing about the guards is if they were ordered to give me red caviar today, they would do it. Equally, if they were ordered to strangle me in my cell, they would do that too. And just reflecting, you know, the total control the authorities have over, over there and the total lawlessness that exists within the prisons. Well, and of course, there's still the question of whether this was purposeful or not. The U.S. clearly seems to think it was, like most observers we've talked to. The U.S., we've learned, has plans to sanction Russia over Navalny's death. I mean, what form would that take? And would it make a difference, I guess? I think it's a very good question because, you know, Russia is already extremely heavily sanctioned because of the war here in Ukraine. Um, you know, the U.S. already tried to impose what it considered to be a sort of doomsday sanctions on the Russian economy. I mean, the truth is that over the course of the war, they have started to become a lot more porous, you know, that, that Russia has adapted to them to a great degree, and they're not being enforced enough. I think one interesting thing we're seeing from Navalny's supporters is this demand that um, the U.S. and European countries should basically take these $300 billion worth of Russian assets that have been frozen since the start of the war, and they should confiscate them, and they should give them to Ukraine as reparations. And they say that would actually be a real punishment for Russia, and would be something that actually hurts it. Because otherwise, just repeating these sort of sanctions on individuals, etc., it's hard to see how that is going to be really significant for Vladimir Putin's regime. Yeah, let's talk about the war in Ukraine, Patrick, because, I mean, you're there right now. You've been going around the country sort of trying to get a sense of what the war is like. Does it look like Putin has reasons to be emboldened there as well? I mean, what are you seeing on the ground? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this has been a very good week for Vladimir Putin, really, because the key city of Avdivka, which Russia has been trying to take um, for the last several months finally fell to Russian forces. They suffered enormous losses, but they did manage to do it. And in part, that's because right now we're seeing very severe ammunition shortages start to really bite in Ukraine because of the holdup in American aid, because of this deadlock in Congress. We are counting on this positive decision of the Congress. For us, this package is vital. Russia's not only managed to take Avdivka, but it's now launched a new offensive in the south as well. It's also on the offensive in the northeast. And Ukrainian forces simply are having to ration ammunition now. They don't have enough to be trying to disperse the Russians in the same way. And when we speak to people here, the atmosphere is very different. People are frightened. People are afraid that if more US aid isn't coming, then what, what we've seen in Avdivka, where eventually the Russians just steamroll through by just destroying everything, is going to happen to each city in their path in the east, and things are just going to get worse and worse. I think there's no question, I mean, of course, Vladimir Putin is trying to project confidence right now, and his position does remain pretty shaky just because of the extreme nature of where he's found himself. But on the other hand, compared to how he was around a year ago, He's looking a lot, lot more strong. 
Well, yeah, and, and if we're talking about an emboldened Vladimir Putin, again, you're seeing it at home. He has now arrested what appears to be another American citizen. We talked about how there are so many arrests of Americans that are almost intended to be used as hostages, bargaining chips. This time, an American dual national, she's also a Russian citizen, was arrested there in the same area that Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkowitz was detained. We'll see what happens next. Patrick Rival in Kiev. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Next up on Start Here, they're getting that paper by selling that plastic. A credit card mega merger after the break. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on. But when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor. You know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. When you think of all the major credit card companies in this country, I often feel like Discover cards are treated like they're at the kids' table. It pays to discover the card with the big payback. For years, it's been considered the accessible option. It doesn't carry a lot of the fees that other cards bring with them. But counterintuitively, this accessible option isn't always accepted everywhere. Well, yesterday, Discover joined forces with a credit card company that you do see absolutely everywhere. May I? Please. With a Capital One Venture card, you earn unlimited double miles everywhere. That's right. Capital One, with its slick Jennifer Gardner-led spokesperson gang, is buying Discover ABC's business correspondent Alexis Christophorus joins us. Alexis, what do we know about this deal? This deal is about to shake up the payments industry as we know it. It's one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, credit card merger in history. Capital One would be buying Discover for $35 billion. It's far from being a done deal, though. You still have bank regulators and shareholders who need to sign off. And if and when it happens, it wouldn't be until later this year uh, or early next year. 
And why now? Because I feel like Discover's been around a while. Capital One's been around a while. Why is this the moment for them? It could be because of the credit card usage we're seeing by Americans. I mean, more and more people are leaning on their credit cards uh, because of high prices. They're leaning on credit cards, unfortunately, just to make ends meet or to buy the basics, which is one of the reasons why your average monthly credit card balance is now over $6,000. And we're also seeing delinquency rates uh, start to rise. Uh, for things like credit card payments and auto loans, which could be a troubling sort of red flags for the overall economy. But basically what this merger is telling us is Capital One and Discover are banking on Americans continuing to put a lot on their cards, uh, continuing to carry high balances, and for many of them to be delinquent with payment, because that's a big moneymaker for these companies. When people are late with payments and the charges that they that they uh, have to charge these customers, the interest rates that they have to pay. Remember, we have interest rates right now near a record high for credit cards, uh, somewhere around 23%, uh, depending on the credit card issuer. So that is a lot of money on the table for these companies. I see. And so as far as why we should care, like why the rest of us should care, I get why you care, but why the rest of us should care, is that sort of it? Because it's not like every Capital One Visa now turns into a Capital One Discover card, right? So like, what, what what's the impact on consumers? I'm not convinced that this is going to mean more choice uh, for consumers. I mean, at the end of the day, this is consolidation in the credit card industry. You would think that these two companies coming together, their resources would mean uh bigger and better options for consumers. It might mean that in the way of rewards because both cards, Discover and and Capital One, have different, very different rewards programs, um, Discover being more of a cashback reward. But Capital One has long had a business model of looking for customers who will keep a balance on their cards, really aiming for customers with lower credit scores than American Express or even Discover for that matter. Discover's customers are carrying over $100 billion in balances on their credit cards. That is up just 13% from a year ago. And that's just Discover. But I'm not convinced that bigger is better. I mean, when you look at the landscape of interest rates right now for credit cards, the larger banks are the ones charging the higher rates. So typically, Mm. if you have a lower credit score, uh, you're going to get a better credit card deal at a smaller bank, which will afford you a lower interest rate. So when these two companies come together and create this behemoth in the credit card industry, you know, are they going to have competitive interest rates for consumers? That's yet to be seen. Yeah, it's interesting. I want to hear what you think about the chances of regulatory approval, right? Because this, like you said, it has to clear federal regulators. Usually the antitrust problems arise when like two companies do the same thing and now they're forming one huge company. These companies are kind of different, right? In that like there's in the corner of your card, there's Visa or MasterCard or American Express or Discover. And then you can have Capital One versions of some of those things, right? So do they cross over? They're different enough that regulators uh, will probably sign off on the deal, although there will be a lot of scrutiny. You know, in June of 2023, we saw a regulation sort of tighten amongst the banks. And these two coming together would create the sixth largest U.S. bank in terms of assets. And remember the banking problems we had in this country when we saw a number of smaller midsize banks uh, shut down. Uh, not that long ago. So you can bet this is going to be closely looked at by regulators. But there are enough differences here that uh, regulators may actually give it the green light because you have um, Discover is really more of a payment network. It gets a major credit card partner with Capital One. Capital One is a credit card issuer at the end of the day. And so uh, having access to Discover's payment network will help Capital One better compete with Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. So I I think there, there isn't as much 
much overlap as you might think. And because of that, it will probably pass with U.S. regulators. All right. Alexis Christophorus, really helpful. Thank you so much. You bet. We've done a bunch of stories about how delicate a process it is to sustain life in a lab. Think about someone who's freezing their eggs or even fertilized embryos to be implanted later during in vitro fertilization. Clinics had to keep everything to a really precise standard or risk these precious embryos being destroyed. Sometimes something goes wrong, which is tragic for everyone involved. The stakes are really high. Well, last week, in a surprise ruling, the state Supreme Court of Alabama raised the stakes even higher. They said every time one of these embryos is destroyed, that that should be treated like the death of a child and that the people in charge of them should be punished as such. ABC's Elizabeth Scholze has been tracking this. Elizabeth, I didn't even know this case was on the docket until I saw this ruling. What happened here? You know, this really was a first-of-its-kind decision from Alabama Supreme Court, Brad. And at question here is a case that involved a patient who had managed to get access to a freezer that was storing frozen embryos at an Alabama fertility clinic. The patient somehow picked up those multiple embryos from the freezer, actually freeze-burned their hands, and mistakenly dropped and destroyed those embryos. So then multiple couples ended up suing, saying that that patient should be held liable. And what the state's Supreme Court said is that, indeed, that person can be held liable in a wrongful death lawsuit. What the court was saying is that frozen embryos qualify as children, that unborn children are children without exception based on the developmental stage that they're in. Notably, in in a concurring opinion too, Brad, there were flowery words from the Chief Justice of Alabama Supreme Court who quoted the Bible. He talked about the sanctity of unborn life. And we spoke to lawyers in Alabama who have concerns about this. At this point, there is no decision on when a physician or a clinic can conclude storing these embryos. So they are potentially liable for the wrongful death of an embryo after the parents have passed. This creates a new landscape for the law where essentially embryos are treated as people. Well, and I remember hearing concerns from people when when Roe v. Wade was overturned that like this could also affect, you know, life giving procedures like in vitro fertilization. I mean, is this about abortion? Is this about fertility clinics? Or Because I imagine it would have consequences for both. Right. And of course, the backdrop of this, Brad, is that we have seen a growing number of states impose restrictions on abortion on women's reproductive rights in the wake of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade in June 2022. And Alabama is one state that has some of the most stringent restrictions. It has a total ban on abortion. But this case really is about IVF. And the question here is really whether patients, families, couples who have struggled to get pregnant will be able to access IVF in the future because of what this ruling determined. Doctors are saying that because they could be held liable basically for doing their jobs, it's likely they're not going to want to do those jobs. We're concerned that this ruling has far-reaching consequences for what we feel is safe to freeze um, and safe to discard. And keep in mind, Brad, that people going through IVF often freeze multiple embryos. I mean, you want to maximize the likelihood of getting pregnant. So often there are embryos that aren't used. And the question is then, What do you do with those? And is the person, whether it's the clinic, the doctor, is it the family's decision for how to discard those? Mm, Right. If you're then potentially 
facing a wrongful death lawsuit, that really creates a dilemma. And doctors are saying this could not only make it harder to get access to IVF, it could increase the price of IVF in the state of Alabama and ultimately can make some clinics be forced to shut down altogether. I was already thousands of dollars invested into it, um, emotionally invested. And it was heartbreaking to speak with one woman. Her name was Gabby Goydell. Her and her husband had suffered from three miscarriages over the past year. They actually lived in Texas and then recently moved to Alabama. And they are in the middle of an IVF cycle right now as this Supreme Court decision came down. And Brad, she was saying how this is the last thing she wanted to hear. I truly, I wanted to scream. I didn't know what to do. I we're just going through it to want and hope for a family, and that shouldn't be, you know, chastised in any way. And her message to lawmakers in the state was, why are you making it more difficult for me to have a family if this is the only way that I can do it? Is that the end of this then, Elizabeth? This is the highest court in Alabama. Basically, what this did is clear the way for that case that we mentioned in the beginning to move forward. So that could now go to trial in this really first-of-its-kind trial at the state level in Alabama. I mean, there's always the possibility that it could get appealed all the way back up to the U.S. Supreme Court. But of course, keep in mind, it's already set to make a decision on abortion in this term. In the coming months, we are expecting it to decide whether to uphold restrictions on the widely used abortion pill called mifepristone and whether some additional restrictions should go in place nationwide, not just in states, by the way, where abortion is legal. So abortion already a big issue for the Supreme Court two years after it overturned Roe, Brad. Right. And the point of the Dobbs decision was leave this up to the states. You can imagine the state's decision is where this ends with perhaps then other states to come. Uh, Elizabeth Schulze, thanks a lot. Thanks, Brad. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, she can spark a renaissance anytime she wants. And now Queen Bay is blazing new trails. One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. Every week, Billboard puts out its Hot 100 list, but it also does this for different genres. It's got its global category, its hot rock list, and as of today, the song at the top of the Billboard Hot Country Songs chart is from Beyonce. This ain't Texas. Ain't no holding. This is Texas Hold'em, the song that Beyonce put out on Super Bowl Sunday. Her whole forthcoming album is a country album. Her other single, 16 Carriages, debuted at number nine on the country charts. 16 carriages driving away while I... And this announcement was historic. Beyonce has now become the first black woman to top the country charts ever, which has inspired a lot of reaction. 
Are you a country fan? I did not know this about you. I am a huge country music fan, as a matter of fact. That's LZ Granderson, a columnist for the LA Times and an ABC News contributor. I can remember driving up and down I-75 from Detroit to Mississippi, as a lot of black kids did, who were children of the, you know, the Great Migration. If you're listening to the radio, you're listening to country music. And he reminds us that Beyonce, for all her chops as a pop and R&B queen, is no stranger in the country space. It's still naturally her. She's a Houston Texan native. She's been doing country music on her albums for years. Like she's no tourist, is what you're saying. She's no tourist. In fact, you should expect her to be there. In 2007, at the American Music Awards, the country group Sugarland performed a cover of her song, and she joyfully joined them on stage. In 2016, she sang at the Country Music Awards with the group now known as The Chicks. But that performance quickly became a flashpoint, with fans blasting the chicks who had their own complicated relationship to the country scene, along with Beyonce herself. So I thought maybe she's going to do a, a cover of, uh, you know, a famous song from, from years ago. No, she does Daddy Lessons from her own album? Forget it. I hated it. What this DJ told our affiliate, WKBW at the time, was a pretty typical example. Radio stations were saying she should stay in her lane, which to many seemed grounded in a form of racism that had besieged black country artists before her. You know, when Darius Rucker, the former lead singer of Hootie and the Blowfish, decided to, to make country music, you know, he openly talked about hoping that country music accepts him, despite the fact that country music was really based upon you know, the instruments of West Africa and are very much part of African culture. Despite that history, when Beyonce's new songs came out and as her fans started requesting them, these tensions arose again. Would country fans embrace her? Would they even call her album country? There was a radio station in Oklahoma that initially did not want to play Beyonce. And they said that we don't play Beyonce because she's not a country artist. And supposedly they weren't aware of the fact that uh, Beyonce um, had a country song. But even if that was accidental, plenty of criticism wasn't. When a host of the far-right news network, One America News, said liberal artists were coming for conservative people's music, the former Dukes of Hazard star John Schneider agreed. They've got to uh, they've got to make their mark just like a dog in a uh, in a dog walk park. You know, every dog has to mark every tree. And a lot of people were obviously offended by that because one, you're comparing you know, her to a dog, but also two, she's actually from Texas and he's the one that's from like upstate New York or something like that. So he's actually playing pretend cosplay country and she's literally from the country. And this is what's so mystifying and magical about music. Genres don't all have great definitions. In fact, lots of great music intentionally blurs those lines. But music can also be a place where you explore who you are. It can be tribal in that way. So when someone you see as an outsider announces, hey, I belong here too, does that challenge your identity? These questions have been asked by several artists over the years, from Tracy Chapman to Mickey Guyton to Lil Nas X. But you wonder if the star power of Beyonce might expand even more people's understanding, both for country fans who didn't know they love Beyonce and Beyonce fans who didn't know they love country. 
things you learn about your colleagues. I call up LZ to be like, is this something you're interested in? He's like, oh yeah, I had a hoedown at my wedding. Like, I'm a huge country music guy. When Kenny Rogers died, my mom cried like it was a member of our family. Love that story. More on all these stories at abcnews.com or the ABC News app. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. But I'll tell you, if you ask anybody over 40 about Reba McIntyre, we come hard for her because we love Reba McIntyre. (laughs) 